Some years ago, the uh, Disney company in America offered church pastors the chance to win $1,000 if they would mention one of their movies in a sermon. And quite a number of uh, pastors took up on it and mentioned a load of movies. And they had to prove it by sending them a video or a tape or something to say, yes, we, we mentioned, I don't know, Shrek or something uh, on Sunday. Um, maybe not Shrek, but you know what I mean, something. We mentioned one of your movies. Uh, and a lot of, lot of pastors took up on it. Uh, and some of them won this prize, $1,000 uh, and uh, a trip that was free to London. Uh, and one of the winners said this, this is a real blessing from God. To which we reply, no it isn't. Because God's blessings are not commodities. God's blessings are given free, without agenda, without desire for anything back without payment, through his spirit. And such blessings in turn free us up to bless others. So our Bible reading today defines true blessing, but what do the Beatitudes say to a 2020 world, to you and me in this world of unrest, in this world where people are looking for a sense of personal worth, dignity, and acceptance? The Beatitudes are lasting. These are words that are integral to the whole of Jesus' mission. Everything else he taught is subservient to these words in the sense that he's setting out here a massive story. He's setting out the whole gospel story, the whole story, including the kingdom of heaven that is to come, is set out in his very first sermon. And he shows how important it is. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Now, when Jewish rabbis taught, yes, they, they would wander and their followers would walk after them and they would teach as they walked. They would stroll and they would find little illustrations from the, from the countryside and they, they would teach about the vine and about the new wine and so on and the lilies of the field and you know that. But when there was something absolutely momentous, a rabbi would sit down. Now, today... When you see the Pope giving an encyclical or something that is incredibly important, he sits down in the form of what is called ex-cathedra, which does not mean outside the cathedral. It actually means from the chair. We hear today in universities, the professor's chair. And so the seat of the Bishop of Rome is ex-cathedra. Important words are going to be spoken when somebody sits down. That is it. From the seat of the Bishop of Rome, and of course Roman Catholics will see the Bishop of Rome as infallible. Those words are perfect themselves. And so I sit this morning, not because I'm a great teacher at all, 
but because the words that I am talking from, this text, is the most important text that we can see. And also, maybe one day in the future, you'll remember that one of your core officers, somewhere back when, sat down and preached about the kingdom of God, and you may remember something from it then. The seat is here upon which I sit. Here's an authoritative word. It's not the word of Richard Mingay by any stretch of the imagination. Jesus, the greatest teacher who ever lived, started his first recorded sermon with one single word, blessed. The very first word in his sermon was blessed. We heard how the very first word the International Staff Songsters sung 40 years ago was Jesus. And that's great. Jesus is the only one, though, who could say the word blessed because he knew what he was talking about from the very first sermon ever preached in the whole world. You are blessed not because it's good to mourn, not because it's good to be poor, not because it's good to be persecuted. You are blessed because Jesus has arrived and with him teachings about the incredible kingdom of God will now emerge and come to life. You are blessed with God's love, favor, presence, and his amazing grace now and always. You now remember that there is always a never-ending blessing fountain that you can drink from when you most need it. When you're poor, when you're mourning, when you're facing injustice, when you're feeling persecuted, when trying to do the right and the good thing, the fount of kingdom blessing is there despite the poverty of your situation. Jesus is not saying he wants us to be in that situation, but he's saying there is a consequence. There is something we all have. As Philip Yancey, the writer, said, fortunate are the unfortunates. In the book of Genesis, when God talks to Abraham, God says, I will bless you. I will bless your name. I will bless your family. Therefore, the whole nation on earth will be blessed through you. But life was no walk in the park for Abraham, if you read his story. But because God made this clear promise to him, it was so. Blessing begins with the Holy Spirit of God. Ultimately, Abraham recognized how much he was blessed through God's lavish giving. There is no theology that says that blessings come as a personal commodity. You see, if you go onto the God Channel, which has its uh, headquarters in the UK, I understand, and you send $100 or £100 or whatever, to a certain address, you'll receive this back, a little bottle, which promises you prosperity blessings. This is not how it works. Christians are dedicated to giving and to giving back. God created us all in his image to both receive and offer blessings right throughout the generations. As our children grow up, our prayers are that they may be people through whom the Spirit of God will flow at home and school and throughout their communities, and then through future lineage. It's grace that flows from the throne of heaven and reaches further than we know. 
that fine theologian that we often quote, Stanley Howell, says, the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution for a new creation of new people. And if ever politically we need that message, it's right now, isn't it? Don't you think? These words. Constitution for a new creation of new people. Kingdom theology tells us that God's new creation is happening here and now, right where we are. So why did Jesus teach about blessedness? What's this about? Why did he have to? Where has this emerged from in the first place? The Beatitudes, they were not distant thoughts or ideas or concepts to Jesus, not something you thought, oh, I'll tell them how much they're blessed in my very first sermon. They're not a bunch of sound bites that he thought might be applicable to some and maybe not others. No, Jesus gave this important message to us because, now look at the words in yellow. Poor, mourn, humble, hunger and thirst for justice, merciful, hearts are pure, work for peace, persecuted for doing right. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Look at those. Can we go back to the first slide again? You see, that is the story of Jesus. He is giving us his story right where he was at the beginning of his ministry. And he is seeing his story right until the resurrection. This is an incredible sermon, isn't it? This is Jesus foretelling. He gives an early insight of what's to come in his own personal journey. He was born in poverty. He mourned for the sins of the world. He mourned, he wept over Jerusalem. He mourned for his friend Lazarus. He gave up his glory. Wasn't he justice and righteousness in himself? And don't we hunger after that? Don't we hunger after him? Wasn't he supreme mercy and absolute purity? Wasn't that Jesus? And wasn't he persecuted for doing right? And we know that people lied and spoke evil against him. They are the story of Jesus. And in 2020, they speak to us clearly. In a world of broken relationships, they speak into our personal stories and they speak into our community's story. Just this week, Pope Francis said, the Beatitudes are the Christian's identity card. Jesus gives us the promise of his kingdom. And by his sacrifice on the cross, he says, you're okay, you're worthy, I love you, and I bless you. And every beatitude here has a kingdom consequence. A writer called Mark Buchanan wrote about a group of young people who were asked what love means, and here's a couple of definitions. One wrote, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does this for her all the time, even though his hands have got arthritis too. It's a blessing 
Another wrote, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. Isn't that an incredible phrase? Toenails, eh? Joe mentioned uh, in a couple of weeks, him and Jamie Gilman are going to be uh, leading our afternoon service together. Jamie's mum and dad, his, his dad works a lot um, with the Salvation Army on brand and design, and he's helping us here too. But his mum is a doctor. She's a doctor of midwifery, and she lectures. She's absolutely brilliant, but she is the most humble lady. And on Friday nights, when we used to, at our previous call, we used to have a drop-in for the homeless from uh, 6 till 10 o'clock. They used to come, and we used to serve them with meals. There used to be some of these guys would queue up because Lindsay would take their socks and shoes off. And boy, sometimes was that a challenge. She would wash their feet and she would cut their toenails. What a blessing she was because she knew the blessing of the master. What an incredible thing to do. Whose name is safe in your mouth? Who is there in this world who would say that God has blessed them or that Christ has been present with them because somewhere along their journey, you helped build the kingdom of God into their life? You'll be able to name some, others you won't, but there will be some things that have happened in that way. Remember this. It cost God far more to come into our world than it does for us to submit to his way of following which embraces these blessings that we do not need to pay for. It costs God far more. Our debt is paid, so we are blessed to bless. Amen.